Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. And so here we are in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, and the Bible says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, he will arise, and there will be a time of trouble such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And so this is our, our launching point right here. It's, uh, Daniel 12 is the last chapter of the book of Daniel. It's that very last vision that continues from Daniel chapter 11. And right before it all ends, the Bible tells us that in the end, there will be a time of trouble such as has never been. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, about what's going to usher that time of trouble in. And Revelation talks about that same time of trouble, but it uses different words. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 13, it speaks about the implementation of the mark of the beast. And Revelation uh, 15 and 16, then it speaks about the seven last plagues, and it speaks about Armageddon, and it, it speaks about the, the last, the final battle of the Lord God Almighty. And so those are all the same words to describe that same event that will take place at the end of time, at the end of the world. And so what I want to do this morning is look at five uh, different um, characteristics of what will usher in that time of trouble and the end of the world. Are you ready? All right, so this morning we're going to talk about five um, different scenarios that will usher in that time of trouble. Are you ready? Here are all five. Uh, First one will be disasters. We're going to look at that one here in Revelation chapter 7. Number two, spiritualism. Number three, the role of the United States of America. Number four, uh, immorality. And finally, number five, financial collapse. So those are going to be the five points that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Disasters, spiritualism, the role of the United States, and uh, immorality, and also financial collapse. Are you ready? Point number one, disasters. When you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, and we studied this vision a few weeks ago in our Sabbath school quarter. By the way, our Sabbath school study lesson this quarter is on the book of Revelation. It's been very fascinating. So, But here in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that John sees four angels, and they're standing at the four corners of the earth. And so if you can just envision it, I love the book of Revelation because it, it's, there's so many images there. You, you can just visualize it. So if you can imagine four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, even though the earth is round. Uh, just, I just wanted to throw that out there. The earth is round. But here, using this language here, the, the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back the four winds. And as I read this, I try to think about how do you hold back wind? Have any of you ever tried to hold back wind? You know, I don't know how this does it, but again, this is just symbols, this is imagery. I mean, I'm thinking maybe a sail, right? Maybe a sail. There's a, if there's any sailors here, yeah, we worked in the Navy. Oh, wait a minute, you guys don't use sails anymore, right? But back in the day, they used to use sails, right? To, to, catch, to catch the wind, but you can't catch all the wind. Still, certain, you know, certain winds will, or breezes will come through there. You can't hold back the wind. And so, if you can imagine here, the book of Revelation says, four angels holding back the four winds of the earth to present any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Uh, in the Bible, winds are, as you, can, as you can imagine, winds are destructive elements. They're catastrophic elements. Here in Florida, we know a little bit about winds, right? Um, every once in a while, we have some strong winds that blow through. Uh, we call them hurricanes. And we know about the destructive power of winds. And so in the Bible, winds are, are, is, is a symbol of catastrophes, of, of, um, of cataclysmic events. 
And they can be, notice what focus is from blowing on the land or on the sea or on the tree. Now, you know, some people believe that these are, you know, symbols for uh, God's righteous people, the trees. For example, Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who uh, walks not in the counsel of ungodly, but he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of, the, of, of water. You know, the sea, some people understand that the sea is a, it's a multitude of the wicked and the land, maybe a, a place of refuge. And so some people have understood this passage to mean that you know, no harm will come on the people, but you could also take this passage to literally understand from causing natural disasters, from causing natural disasters on this earth. And so one of the things that we're going to start seeing is that every once in a while winds escape and every once in a while, we are seeing natural disasters that take place. And uh, not only that, but Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that these natural disasters would take place more and more often, and they would become more and more intense as we near the end of time. So, let me see here. Last year, we had a hurricane uh, went through the island of Puerto Rico. Anybody from Puerto Rico here? Was that Hurricane Maria, right? And, and, and that just destroyed the, uh, destroyed the island. Um, here in Florida, we, I remember when I was a kid, we had a hurricane, well, we, I, was, I wasn't here in Florida at that time, I was in Texas, but I remember hearing about a hurricane called Andrew. Do you remember Hurricane Andrew? And, but even coming back a little closer to our time, there was another hurricane called Hurricane Katrina, which just devastated, I mean, just completely uh, destroyed the city of New Orleans, set it back. But then a couple years ago, or was it last year, I don't even remember, I can't even keep track of these, there was a Hurricane Harvey. That went over Houston and just inundated the city of Houston. That's where I was from. That's where I grew up in Houston, Texas. And so what we're seeing is that these natural disasters are taking place more and more often, and they are more and more intense. Not only hurricanes, but we're seeing, you know, we talk about California being in a drought. We talk about there was a fire. Wasn't there a fire in California? Was it last year uh, that just destroyed, you know, entire cities and, and towns? Uh, was it the Paradise, the Paradise uh, Fire when we had an Adventist hospital in Paradise, California that was, that was destroyed? And so we're seeing all these natural events, not, but not just here in the United States of America. Uh, the book of Revelation wasn't just written to Americans. It was written to everyone in the, in the whole world. And we're seeing more and more natural disasters all around the world. I was thinking about that tsunami that hit, was it 2002 or 2004? I don't remember. Was it just after Christmas in Indonesia? Is that right? And, and how many people died from that? Over 250,000 people, I think, you know, perished from that. And so the, the Bible is telling us that as we near the end of time, we should expect more and more natural disasters um, and more intense natural disasters, but not just natural disasters, but also potentially other forms of conflict, uh, man-made conflict, such as, as wars and strife and violence and pandemics or epidemics. This is one of the signs of the end of time are disasters and catastrophes. That's one of the ways that we know we're nearing the end of time and that time of trouble. Point number two here, all right, point number two, what was point number two? Point number one was catastrophes, natural disasters. Point number two, spiritualism. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, point number two. And here the book of Revelation says, I saw three impure spirits that look like frogs. And do I, I think I have some gifts here. Where in the Bible do we read about frogs? Where in the Bible do we read about frogs? What was that? Yes, all right, good, all right, you guys said it, so yeah, very right. Exodus, Pharaoh, I don't have that many gifts, sorry, so we're going to have to pass, all of you guys are right, yeah, Exodus, now this is interesting, right, um, frogs, we find them in Exodus uh, during the time of, 
of Pharaoh and the children of Israel. By the way, um, just this is a little side note here. I'm growing out my beard for a purpose because we're going to do the Exodus for Easter this year. I think that's uh, April 20th. So I'm growing out my beard. I think I'm going to be Moses. I don't know if I'm going to be Moses or Pharaoh. We'll, we'll figure that out. But we're, we're going to talk about let my people go. And we're going to have a special program, special presentation that day. But yes, frogs, all right? Frogs. And what's interesting about these frogs... Um, and not just about the frogs, but um, also a few of the other miracles that Moses did, is that the magicians of Egypt were able to replicate them as well. And the Apostle Paul tells us that, they were, that these magicians were able to replicate these, um, these miracles as well. Remember, Moses threw the uh, staff down and it turned into a snake. And then the magicians also threw their staff down and they turned into snakes as well. The difference is Moses' is snake or rod, ate up the other snakes. And the Apostle Paul tells us that they did this through the power of the devil or through the power of Satan. It was spiritualism, if you want to call it witchcraft, whatever it was. These uh, magicians were employing um, the, the, dark, the dark arts or the magic arts, not to be confused with an illusionist because those are just sleight of hands. But the, I mean, these are people that are really conjuring with the spirits. And Revelation chapter 16 tells us that as we near the end of time, he says, I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, and it says they are demonic spirits that perform signs. So as we near the end of time, it should not surprise us that we will see a rise in spiritualism. And you know, and, and, you know I, don't, I don't dabble with uh, spiritualism or anything, and I hope you don't either. But you would be surprised, you know, and so I think, well, since I don't dabble in spiritualism, no one else does. But you would be surprised how many stories I've heard I've encountered as a pastor of individuals who I've visited with, individuals who I've spoken with that have had supernatural encounters because of dabbling in spiritualism. I remember there was a couple that I was studying the Bible with, and that particular, that particular study was about what happens to people when they die. And so we went through the Bible passages where the Bible tells us the dead know not nothing, uh, that the dead are sleeping, that they're unconscious, that they're resting in the grave, that, that the breath of life has returned to God, um, and they're awaiting the day of resurrection. And we went through all these passages, and at the end they tell me, Pastor, that's, that's not right. That's not right, Pastor, because when my grandmother passed away, um, and afterwards, we were in the home. The, the family was together in the house, and, and my, mother appear, my grandmother appeared to us. And she spoke to us. And it was so comforting to us to see that my, that my grandmother was still fine and that she was okay, even though she had passed away. And so what's dangerous about this is that, is that what was happening here is that they no longer believed what the Bible said, because they had had an experience, a supernatural experience that negated, that negated what the Bible was saying. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous. And, and, and um, the Bible tells us that the devil can transform himself into an angel of light and can perform signs. Here, Revelation tells us they're demonic spirits that perform signs and miracles. And ultimately, those signs lead people not to believe what is written in Scripture, and that's one of the most, uh, uh, most, uh, most dangerous things that can happen. I don't know that this is necessarily uh, related or not, but I remember reading an article about how our technology is such in our days 
that people can make videos of, of other people, impersonating other people, and, and speak, and, and do all these motions, and that with the technology that we have, it can look like somebody else is actually saying those things or doing those things. And they mainly use them to, you know, maybe make parodies of presidents or, you know, famous people or actors or things like this. And uh, there was a professor from, uh, from University of California, Berkeley, that was saying that at one time this technology was only available to high-end uh, film and movie, um, uh, movie producers. But now, because of our technology, it's available to anybody, basically anybody with a laptop. And he said some of these imitations are kind of crude, but he said some of them are very sophisticated. And the very sophisticated ones, he says, we call them deep fakes. That's what they call them, deep fakes, where you can't really tell whether it's a real recording, a real video, or it's not, or it's a fake one. And he says, and this is what he says, he says, we can no longer trust what our eyes see, and we can no longer trust what our ears hear. Isn't that something? And if that happens in our realm with technology, what about the devil? What about his power and his might and how he can transform himself into an angel of light? Revelation tells us that as we, end, as we near the end of time, we will see a rise in spiritualism. Point number three, as we, end the near, the, as we near the end of time, this is point number three here, the role of the United States of America. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, And the second beast, it says, He deceived the inhabitants of the earth, and, and they ordered him to set up an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. What are we talking about here, um, this second beast? According to Revelation chapter 13, there's two beasts. The first beast uh, represents the Roman Catholic Church of the Middle Ages, and even up today, that's the first beast. A beast in Bible prophecy represents a nation or a power or a country. And that second beast that arises, that second beast that's spoken of here, is that is the United States of America. And we're not going to have time to you know, prove all this. I think you probably have heard this type of presentation before anyways. But that second beast is represented by the United States of America. And here Revelation tells us that the United States of America will deceive the inhabitants of the earth. And as I was reading that one there, I said, well, that's why probably some people don't, and I don't want to necessarily go this right, but there are people who don't believe what the government says. <laughs> How many of you believe what the government says? I don't know, you know. I mean, this is a tricky one, right? Because we don't want to fall into conspiracies. But here the Bible tells us that the United States of America will deceive the inhabitants of the earth and then they, the inhabitants of the earth, because we live in kind of a democratic society here, they will order him, the second beast, they will order the second beast to set up an image to the beast. What is that? An image to the beast means that this country will change. This country will not look the same way it looks like right now. In other words, the government in this nation will change to be like an image to that first beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And what we're talking about here is that that first beast, the Roman Catholic Church, it was a mix of or a combination of church and state. Uh, for 1,260 years, the Roman Catholic Church ruled as the Holy Roman Empire. And I know we're very far removed from this and we wonder, well, how is that relevant or, or that, that doesn't really you know, speak to me too much. But, you know, tr trust me here, when I went to, I did not realize the influence of the church until I actually went to Europe 
and I went to Italy, and I started walking in those basilicas, and we went to St. Peter's Square, and we walked into the Vatican, where you realize that the church for 1,260 years, as Bible prophecy foretells, was indeed in charge. It was in charge of secular governments. And whatever the church said, that's what the secular governments did. We don't see it too much here in the United States of America, thank God, because we're, we're different. But the Bible tells us that the United States of America will change, will change to set up a form of government that is similar to what the Roman Catholic Church was during the Middle Ages. And, you know, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't really make it a secret that, that their public policy is that their values and their ideals should govern and should inform governments. They don't make it a secret. They believe that their values should inform governments, if not control governments. Uh, Just recently here, uh, this has been in the news for some time, is that the Catholic Church has been promoting Sunday laws in Europe. And sure enough, many countries in Europe have adopted these Sunday laws. They haven't adopted them in the way the Roman Catholic Church is pushing these Sunday laws. Isn't for Sunday sacredness, per se, so that people can go to church. But the way they're spinning these Sunday laws is for the workers, so that the workers can have a day of rest, so that the workers are not overworked. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? I mean, how many of you like, uh, like a day of rest, right? It's a great thing, right? We don't want our employers to overwork us, right? That's kind of, um, that's kind of what, what is the American, what do we do here in America? Actually, we don't rest right in America. I think America is one of the hardest working countries in the world. We just work around the clock. We don't take a break. But over there, the church is saying, no, for the promotion of family, for the promotion of health, let's give individuals a day off and let's choose Sunday. Now, some businesses are saying, well, uh, we as businesses, we're the ones who want to decide uh, when uh, to give our employees off. But anyways, but sure enough, in Poland, right now they have two Sundays out of the month that uh, all stores are closed except for, I think, pharmacies and gas stations and you know, some, some other emergency places. Um, this year, they want to implement it to three Sundays a month that are closed. Um, and then finally, by 2020, they want to have every single Sunday of the month closed for these purposes. You know, and we talk about you know, Sunday laws all the time, don't we, as Seventh-day Adventists? It's already happening in Europe. Um, just wait till it starts happening here or starts being implemented here. It is, no, uh, it is no secret that the Roman Catholic Church, again, believes that their values should inform secular government. Um, and it's also no secret that... Uh, evangelical Christians also believe that Christian values should inform government. And this one is really, this one is really a, a tricky, um, this one's a really tricky one here. I want to show you this other one, though, here. Um, if you think it's impossible. Now, this happened a while back ago, uh, but uh, let me see here. Uh, President Ronald Reagan teamed up with J- Pope John Paul II, and they, they joined up so that they could bring down communism. Now, I, th- I don't think anybody complained about that, right? Because who likes the commies, right? Nobody, right? Nobody, nobody likes the, the communists, right? Okay. But they've done it before in the past. They've teamed up. And the Bible tells us that they will team up again in the end of time. What's actually scary about this is I was reading another article about this, is that there's a whole new generation living now in the United States of America that was not alive during this. What, when was this? Is this 1989? Is that when that's happening? 1990? They're telling us that there's a whole generation that's living, that's alive today in the United States of America. I mean, what was 19, how many years ago was that, 1990? Was that 30 years ago? Is that right? 29 years ago? Yeah, somewhere around there. So there's a whole other generation that has grown up now that's in the United States of America that's living. That's the younger generation who was not alive when this happened. 
You know, they didn't, they didn't understand what was going on in the Soviet Union. They didn't understand what communism was about. They didn't understand what socialism was all about. And so it's no wonder, and I don't want to talk about politics here, but you know that the number one demographic that supports Bernie Sanders, who's a socialist, is that younger generation. That younger generation who never saw this, who never saw the results, the practical outworking of socialism and communism. And so they're hearing these views and they think, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Is that kind of scary? That kind of scary. But anyways, let's move on here. Uh, evangelical Christians make it no secret that they believe that, uh, that, Christian, that Christian values and Christian beliefs should inform the government. And it's such a slippery slope. We hear about it in this way. We hear about it as prayer in public schools. They're taking out prayer in public schools. Um, and so we need prayer back in public schools. Right, be careful with that. Because one thing is, it's one thing for me to be able to have the right to pray in a public school if I want to pray. Another thing is for the schools to say, all right, let's all of us pray now. Every, every teacher has to start their classes with prayer and put the Ten Commandments back on the state capitol. It's a really, really slippery slope, and we have to be careful about that. The New Testament clearly establishes the separation of church and state, and it's such a fine line between allowing Christian values to inform and guide us in our daily living. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but then it's another thing to start trying to enforce morality and Christian values. Given to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God, there should be this clear separation between the two. Notice here uh, what this passage says here, when Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power. And this is a comment on Revelation 13, where it says that second beast, the United States of America, makes an image to the first beast. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to glass hands with, wait, what is that? Spiritualism. When under the influence of this threefold union, we actually read about that in Revelation 16, I saw three, uh, three uh, uh, frogs come out of the mouth of the beast and the dragon and the false prophet. This threefold union, the United States of America, evangelical Christianity with the old world, ro- world Roman power, and with spiritualism. Under the influence of this threefold union, what will happen? Then our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, then we may know that the time has come and that the end is near. All right, now if you're a Democrat, don't worry about that word Republican. She's not using that word as in the Republican Party. She's using that word as in our form of government, which is a republic. It's not a dictatorship, it's a republic. All right, Um, But the Bible tells us in Revelation 13, and here Ellen White comments on this, it tells us that this country will repudiate every principle of its constitution. This country will change. And she says when that happens, the the end is near. Something else that the the Bible also mentions in Revelation 13 is it mentions that this this second beast is like a lamb with, with two horns, but then it speaks like a dragon. Which is interesting. Haven't you noticed that the rhetoric in this nation is becoming harsher? Have you noticed that? Um, where we can't disagree with someone without being called a, a hater or a bigot or uh, have some type of phobia of some sort. And this article was written here, slouching toward democratic totalitarianism. Is it possible that this country will one day change from what it is today to become a totalitarian form of government? Bible, the Bible tells us it will. And so when it does, we know that the end will be near. 
Point number one, watch out for natural disasters that will usher in the time of trouble. Point number two, uh, watch out for spiritualism that will usher in the time of trouble. And watch out for this country, the United States of America, changing in its form, changing in its government that will usher in the time of trouble. Point number four, Revelation chapter 18 and verse 3. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive, excessive luxuries. Now, here this first part of this verse, the maddening wine of her sexual immorality, and the kings have committed adultery with her. And again, we typically do this, you know, we understand this symbolically, and we're talking about the mixture of truth and error and these kinds of things. But I, have you noticed, though, that in our society today, there's this, we are becoming hypersexualized? Have you noticed that? So, I mean, as we read this, as we read this verse symbolically, but could it also be literally? That as we near the end of time, there will be an increase of sexual immorality. Everything is becoming sexualized today. But point number five here, also in the second half of this verse, it says, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. The merchants of the earth. Big business. Revelation speaks about big business. Have you heard about big business in the news lately? Growing rich from excessive luxury, you know, and I have to be careful here because, you know, sometimes I see that there's so much wealth out there that it just makes me sick to my stomach. There is so much wealth out there, and at the same time, there's so much poverty out there. And the Bible talks about this. James chapter 5, if you want to turn your Bibles there, James chapter 5, I will quote it. This is James. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. Because of the misery that is coming on you, the Bible says. For your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten out your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion will testify against you and they will eat your flesh like fire. For you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields, they're crying out against you. The wages that you fail to pay the workers are crying out against you. Now, you know, look at this one here. I, I, I put this up here a while back ago. And this is, this is a, an exaggeration here. This is really an, an exaggerated um, situation. Um, this isn't that common. Um, but um, this is just an illustration here of the difference between CEOs of companies today versus the average worker. So if you look at this diagram here, and this was in 2011, and this is Ron Johnson, and this was his um, compensation package um, as he was let go. In other words, his percentage compared to the, daily or to the regular workers was 1,795 times the average worker. You know, now, now, this is an exaggerated case, but the majority of CEOs, they earn about 500% more than the average worker. And so they illustrated this. The average worker gets a loaf of bread, you know, amen, a loaf of bread. And then he exits and he gets a whole Empire State Building as he exits. Now, it wasn't always that way. Back in the days, CEOs, they would make 20% more than what the average worker would make. But now it's 500%. Like I said, this is just an exaggerated example. 1,700% more than the average worker. Where's all that money going? Money that could have been perhaps given, spread out. I mean, when was the last time you guys got a raise? I mean, come on, you know, right? 
you know, they're far and few between raises. But the CEOs who are up at the top are earning so much more money. And the Bible speaks about this. The wages that you fail to pay your workers who mowed your fields, they are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves with your delicacies, and you have condemned and murdered the innocent. I was reading another article. I don't know if you've heard from me or not, but I love California. I love the state of California. I love it so much. I wish I could live there, but you know what? I can't afford to live there. I was reading an article about San Francisco and real estate prices in San Francisco. Only millionaires can afford to live in San Francisco. The average rent for a one-bedroom apartment, a studio apartment in San Francisco, runs around $3,600 a month. I can't afford that. You know, single-family houses, you know, run in the millions. What is going on here? The Bible tells us that at the end of time, the merchants of the earth who have grown rich from, the ex- from her Babylon's excessive luxuries. Big business. Notice this one here. I want to read another passage here in Revelation chapter 18 because it kind of continues to describe a little bit about uh, big business here. It says, The merchants of the earth at the time of trouble, they will weep and they will mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Now, this is interesting here because Revelation 13 says no one will be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. So the Bible is telling us that this government will try to pass some type of laws to encourage purchasing, but those laws will actually backfire and will actually decrease the purchases. And it says they're weeping and mourning because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Now, haven't you heard so many times when we talk about the U.S. economy, um, what's one of the top ways that they tell us we need to get the economy going back again? Spending money, right? You know, let's get, you know, sales and spending and let's get the economy. How, how, about, how about encouraging our economy to grow because of manufacturing rather than spending money and getting into debt? But the merchants of the earth, they will weep and they will mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver, cargoes of precious stones and pearls, cargoes of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet cloth and every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory and costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. And as I'm reading this list here, I'm thinking, you know, I just, I just purchased a house, right? And I wouldn't mind some marble foliage in my house. I don't know about you, right? You know, I'd like some nice, nice, fine wood furniture, you know, a little bit of citron wood there. Um, yeah, scarlet, nice curtains, right? Um, good quality curtains. And, you know, I think about there's nothing wrong with having a nice home, but what we're talking about here is excess, excess luxury. You know, not, not only that, but what's interesting here is that these materials, when you read about them in the Old Testament, these materials were only found in one place in the Old Testament, and it wasn't in people's homes, it was in the temple. It was in the Old Testament temple and maybe in the palaces of kings. But here at the end of time, the Bible will say that people will be hoarding these things. It's gold and the silver and the precious stones and the pearls. But the, but the, but the items don't just stop there. The items don't just stop there. They continue. So it says cargoes of cinnamon and spice. And we want our homes to smell nice, don't we? And, and myrrh and frankincense, nothing wrong with that. They gave that to Jesus. Of wine and of olive oil, fine flour and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and horses, and carriages. Interesting. Horses and carriages were a big deal back in the days, huh? What's a big deal today? 
<laughs> I call it ride pride. I call it ride pride. Of course, I say that I drive a little binged up, uh, binged up uh, Toyota Corolla. But um, if, I, if, I, if I upgrade my car, don't, you know, don't hold that against me. But uh, horses and carriages, and it's not about you know, having nice things. It's about the excess. But then it ends and it says, in the end of time, there will be human beings sold as slaves. Wait a minute. Slavery doesn't exist anymore, does it? Mm. There's this thing nowadays called human trafficking. And there was actually just a bust in South Florida not a few weeks ago, a few weeks after the Super Bowl. And a very prominent individual was um, caught in that sting of human trafficking in a massage parlor where the workers were not even allowed to go home. They have to stay in that massage parlor. What is that all about? Human trafficking. And the Bible tells us that as we, end the, the, as we near the end of time, this will become more and more prominent. And the Bible tells us don't share in her sins. Now, not just talking about human trafficking today, but let's talk about slavery as it was practiced in this country for so many years. When we look at the Bible, Israel was enslaved for over 400 years. I remember someone telling me, you can't undo 400 years of slavery in 100 years. How long did we practice slavery in this country? It can't be undone in 50 years. It can't be undone in 100 years. And then afterwards, here, we just finished uh, Black History Month in February, but after uh, slavery ended in this country, then there was a continued systemic and legalized oppression in this country. Remember, as a kid, there was this term that I heard, uh, sharecropping, and I had no idea what that term meant. Kind of sounded kind of positive to me, right? Oh, everybody kind of shares their crops. That sounds like a great idea. And then I read about it and learned about it. Jim Crow laws systematic and legalized oppression continued in this country. And we're seeing in our day a renewal of racial tension in our day here in this country, aren't we? I thought racism was over. It's not. It's not. And as Christians, we need to say an emphatic no to any form of racism, any form of discrimination, um, any of that. Because John, in the book of Revelation, we're in the book of Revelation. John, in the book of Revelation, he sees a people standing on the sea of glass in heaven. And he says that they are from every kindred, from every nation, from every tongue, and from every people. And if we can't be comfortable like that here, uh, probably the the most likely thing is we won't be up there to be able to experience that kind of diversity. You know, and I'm, I'm just reading this as John is talking about this in the end of time. I have a video here I want to show at this time, though. It has to continue to do about finances. And um, this is from one of our GC uh, treasurers. And it's about a two, three-minute video. Jesse, if we could dim the lights and, you know, put the volume up. But I just want you to see this about finances and the end of time. One of the topics Seventh-day Adventists want to know is just where are we with respect to the end of time? There's an economic framework that's been most helpful for me to visualize the relationship between finance and the things to come in the future. It's a theory called the Kondratiev wave. In 1920, a Russian economist named Nikolai Kondratiev observed that the global economy ran in cycles of about 50 to 70 years. There was a growth phase, which is called spring and summer, and then there was a plateauing of the global economy, autumn, followed by economic winter. Now, economic winters were characterized by stock market crashes, debt crisis, banking crisis, often a global depression, and followed by wars and regime changes. 
As we look at these Kondratiev waves over the past 200 years and compare that against prophetic events, very interesting patterns appear. Perhaps one of the most prominent things that occurred was in the year 1844, the end of one of these economic winters. William Miller had been preaching about the second coming of Christ to take place in 1844, and this coincided with that economic winter. Miller's success in preaching about the second coming of Christ may have been helped by the economic conditions of the time. People are more receptive to spiritual matters, to turn to God and to seek salvation when the conditions around them are very difficult. So this end of this economic wave came with the fulfilling of the 2300 day prophecy. Now the previous wave ended in the year 1789. This was the start of the French Revolution. And as the revolution progressed, it resulted in the arrest and the exile of the Pope in 1798. This was the end of the 1260-day prophecy. And again, there's this close tie between prophecy and the Kondratiev wave. Now, the third cycle ended in the year 1896. This was shortly after the Seventh-day Adventist Church had its 1888 experience. Ellen White wrote that in 1888, the loud cry was starting and that the latter rain was being poured out again. Unfortunately, the church, and in particular its leaders, were not ready for that outpouring of the Spirit, and we didn't see the ultimate fulfilling of the prophecy, which is the second coming of Christ. The next cycle that ended in 1945 was a very catastrophic cycle, which had two world wars, an era which made it very difficult for the gospel work to be finished due to wars and the closed borders. Ellen White had lamented in the year 1903 about what might have been if we had been ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it was a cycle that offered no opportunity to finish the work. So we look at the current cycle that we're in today. We're again in economic winter. It started in the year 2000 as the tech bubble burst and the stock market crashed. Since then, governments and central banks have taken extraordinary measures to try and fix the world economy but their efforts have really only resulted in making things worse. But the message I want to give to people today is not so much that we're in an economic winter, but rather that this economic winter perhaps is harvest time for the church, an opportunity to finish the work that God has given us, a time when people are more receptive to the gospel message and are ready to turn to God and seek salvation. Um, isn't that interesting there? finances, and we're in that economic winter right now. Mm. So we're living in a bubble that's ready to burst at any moment. Um, we, we don't know uh, when exactly it'll happen, but we know that something's going to happen. What's going to happen? We're not sure. When it's going to happen, we don't know. How it's going to happen, we don't know. But look for these signs. Look for increased natural disasters Look for an increase in spiritualism. Look for the United States of America changing and beginning to change in its form of government. Look for sexual immorality and a rise in, 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 in immorality. And then watch out for financial collapses and big business. Um, these are all signs that will usher in the end of the world. You know, and, I, and I'm going to end it here. Maybe I should talk about how do you get ready for something like this. And uh, maybe we'll save that for, for another sermon. Um, but indeed, we see the signs all around us that the end is near. And I think we can only say, Lord Jesus, um, help us to get ready. How about you? I mean, Lord Jesus, help us to get ready. You know, sometimes we get caught up in life and we think this thing is going to last forever, but it's not. Um, Lord Jesus, help us to get ready. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.